everyone, Marlena here from Edgy Gladiators with our After the Chat for Restorative Justice. And I am here not alone, but with my fellow warriors and friends here. And I'll let each one of them introduce themselves and let them share where they gladiate. Good morning, my name is Sinead Bell and I am from Houston, Texas. I'm a middle school principal, glad to be here this morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sean Tom. I am a teacher administrator at a charter school network in Camden, New Jersey. Good morning. I am Colleen Skiles. I'm a middle school modern language teacher um, in Troy, Missouri, which is located in Metropolitan St. Louis. Awesome. Awesome. Welcome, everyone. So let's just start with, uh, with this subject, restorative justice. Uh, you know, the first piece, the first question that we asked today was talking about empathy. And did you guys see any trends in that answer with, about empathy or something that struck out to you that you liked a lot? I think one of the things that, that I saw kind of pop up in the chat more than anything else is that we actually have to teach our educators what empathy is and what it looks like in the classroom and also be able to provide them time to actually have those conversations with students in class because you know we know what empathy is, we know how it's defined, but we're not necessarily the best at recognizing how to implement that, how to practice that in our classrooms, and what that really means when it comes to working with our students. Yeah, I would agree. I think another thing that I noticed was the fact that we have to listen to one another and um, everyone, everyone has a story. And so kids are not all wrapped up in pretty packages with the same directions. And in order to be empathetic, you have to listen and listen to understand, not listen to solve a problem, but listen to understand. And not listen to just to reply. I saw that somewhere. I can't remember if it was today or yesterday that some people just listen to thinking of their reply and how they're going to respond. You have to move past what your response is going to be. Absolutely. I know for me the, you know, my understanding of empathy and and a lot of the misunderstanding that I've come across has been when folks confuse the the meaning of empathy with sympathy. Like those are very two distinct things. And I think uh, particularly those, uh, particularly educators that may be new to teaching in a, uh, maybe in a, a challenging environment, they have more sympathy than empathy, but they don't realize that there is a difference. And so maybe their strategies are uh, colored by the sympathy aspect and not, not an empathy aspect uh, as well. So um, I, I did love that question because it did talk about making, not assuming that adults understand. So how do, we, how do we bring empathy in our schools? How do you guys bring that in your schools? I, I think when it, whenever you work with kids in every school that I've been in, whether it's as a principal, as a teacher, it, it really all starts with, and this is going to sound corny, but it all starts with love. I mean, you have to lead with love. You have to lead through love. Um, you need to recognize that a lot of times your students aren't necessarily getting the kind of love that, that they really need, whether it's at home, whether it's from each other. I mean, it's, they're not getting it. So we need to know that we need to be able to open our hearts to them, to their experiences, to what they go through, to, to what is their regular lives, and then use that love to help us build bridges. I mean, we need to build bridges to kind of cross those gaps with our kids and with the people we work with. And love is the absolute easiest way to do that. And I stress that to my kids all the time. I tell them we are a family and, and we all love each other. And, and they, they've, they've gotten into that and they recognize that and, and they all agree. 
I would agree. And, and for me, just as a leader, I listen to kids' story. I remember just being an elementary principal, now a middle school principal, and especially at the elementary level, a kid would do something and the teacher would march him up to the principal's office and say, tell her what you did, tell her what you did. And the kid couldn't get their thing out because the teacher wanted to jump in. And so I would say, I would take the kid away and have that conversation. And so we have to listen. And like Colleen said, not listen just to reply, not listen to reprimand, but listen and get down to the source of, you know, what is the, what's the real issue? And very rarely does it have anything to do with math, science, and social studies. Uh, so when we know that we teach a human being, we teach a child that brings a lot of different issues to school with them daily. And I don't care what type of school, whether you are in a school of affluence or one of high poverty, all kids bring things with them. Everyone brings baggage. Adults bring baggage with them each day. And so I may not have experienced that, but I can certainly listen to understand and think, you know, if I were in a situation like that, I could totally see how I would feel the way that you feel. And so I, I just think that's really important, just that power of everyone's individual story and recognize that we all have one. And let me listen to understand what your story is and how can I help you through your story? I love that. I love that answer. You know, uh, it was one of Tim Watkins, Tim Watkins, uh, he, uh, he talked about the same thing about really listening today, really listening, really being there for your students. And so in our dialogue today, I shared that a great way for teachers and leaders to have a better understanding and really open that door of, of truly listening, ride the bus home hmm. with your kids. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and we did that. And everywhere I've taught, we've always, I've always encouraged like teachers, just, just pick a bus and ride home, ride that bus route because our buses would always come back to the school, ride that bus route in the afternoon and really see where those kids are coming from. And it's been an eye opener for so many educators, for me. Um, have you guys ever done that or encouraged that in your schools? We, we've done that in a lot of different school districts that I've been in. And it was something that we actually do in, in my, my school now is every, every year whenever we get new staff, we actually have our, our new staff go on a bus and, and tour the city of Camden and we actually have our former students who are now educators in our, our schools to lead that tour. And that, that's very, very powerful stuff. We have teachers in our district actually be bus monitors. So wow. like, um, for instance, this is my first year in our district and I have a mentor. My mentor is a bus monitor. So when the bell rings, she goes out and she gets on a bus and she rides it with the bus driver um, every day after school. And we have several teachers that do that. And it's kind of encouraged that you, that, that is just something you do. That's awesome. That is awesome. I, I love that. I love that idea. Um, so, you know, I guess one of the things too that I, that I noticed in the chat that uh, people kept saying was, you know, listening, taking time to really, um, really to be empathetic. You can't do that very quickly. Like you can't be so consumed and I think, Sinead, you might have mentioned that with, you know, your core classes are, you know, you have to take time and really figure out why a kid is being brought to the principal's office or why they're getting in trouble and, and dig to the root of that. I know one of the things that I always had to, um, to really uh, support my teachers in is that if you send a child to the principal's office, first of all, you've given up your control of the situation when you do that. And I know there are times when you have to do that. Uh, but when you send them, you're giving up control. But secondly, 
that kid's going to come back to your classroom. And if you don't have, uh, if you're not practicing empathy in your classroom and your, in your discipline, what's going to happen when that kid comes back to your classroom? So just share a little bit guys about like what your experience has been, um, whether you've been the one to take that time out, really dig deep in what's bothering that child um, and sending them back and what that experience has been are, are, are when you were sending a kid out, either, either one. For me, I, you know, that re-entry is so important. And so, um, and you have to think about both the teacher as well as the student. I don't wanna have a conversation with the student and not prepare them for re-entry. And I would always listen to the student, listen to their issue, but I would let them know, you know, you have to go back into class tomorrow. And I would give them some strategies and tips on how to re-enter the classroom. And I would always say, even if the response that you get from the teacher pushes your buttons, I'm going to ask you to do this. But then I would also have that conversation with the teacher as well and say, hey, this is what was shared, whether it's true or not, whether it was your intention, it's how it was perceived. And I think that's really important. And I would always say, you know, I don't in my heart of hearts, I really don't think you meant it this way, but let me tell you how it was received. And I think that's important, you know, to have the conversation on both ends and to prepare both individuals and to have a, a smooth transition and a re-entry back into class. But I think too, in the beginning of the year in August, when we're doing all of our back to school stuff, our professional development, we spend a lot of time on curriculum aspects, very little time, or it's just a quick review over expectations, school-wide expectations, classroom expectations. We don't plan for behavior. And so I think that's something that we need to do in that, you know, teaching teachers how to use affective statements and how to address when kids are, are pushing and trying, or if a kid comes to you with this, it has nothing to do with you. Usually it doesn't. And so I just think just really spending some time talking about how we respond and how we talk to kids is important. And I, I also, you know, and I agree with everything you, you said there. And I think it's, you know, it's also important to recognize that as we talk to our kids, one of the things we always want to ask a child when they do something wrong is why, yeah. why did you do that? Why, why, why? And if our kids knew the re answer to that question, they probably wouldn't be doing what they're doing. And I, I learned that very extensively when I, when I was leading a, a school for kids with behavioral and emotional issues. So instead of asking why, and we took a much deeper approach to it. So we started asking the kids what happened, right? Get them to review what happened, the events, ask them how they feel, how maybe others felt in the situation, and then go back to asking what again, and what can they do differently? What, what, what are some different steps they can take if they start feeling that way again? But, you know, Asking those three questions in that order removes the need to ask the question why. And when you're asking a child why they're doing something and they don't have an answer for it, chances are they're going to get more frustrated, more upset, more irritated with you. And this is a way that we use something like that. We can, be we can better impact our kids and actually learn more about them, exactly what you were saying, and be able to you know, build on a deeper level with them. And I think that follow-up is how can we handle this in a different way? So you're doing that teach piece as you're going through trying to find a replacement behavior for the misbehavior, but it is a process. And so, you know, we may be, we may be good for five days, five minutes, but so it's just teaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what restorative justice, um, it's built of course on that cornerstone of empathy. 
but it's also it also emphasizes uh, healing with not only the person that is that is causing the, the disruption or that have may, that may have hurt others, but those that are hurt by their actions and the community in general. And I and I love that. I love that piece. So when we talk about um, when we talk about discipline, I think it's also about building community uh, as well. Having a strong community in your classroom, having a strong community in uh, in your schools. So, have you guys had any experience with uh, some schools now are doing peer uh, panels to to decide on certain disciplines or or things like that? Have you guys had any experience with that or seen that? Well, I know we do a lot of that in, in my classroom with, with my kids. And I, I try, you know, giving them the ownership and allowing them to kind of have those conversations because you have to recognize that when you're doing this, it's all about one thing in our classrooms. It is all about the relationships. And if we're not spending the time to build those deep relationships with our kids, we're never going to be able to understand them. They're not going to be able to understand each other. So when you give them that kind of power to talk about how a class goes or talk about how maybe behavior should be going or how discipline should go, and maybe how they would handle a, a student acting in a particular manner. I think that's how you build those relationships, those healthy relationships between educators and students, between students and students, and between educators and educators as well as you meet to kind of to, to see what's, what's going right and what's not going right. Um, somebody in the chat brought up Rachel's Challenge. And um, my school is a Rachel's Challenge school, and the person in the chat said that they're implementing Rachel's Challenge. And Rachel's Challenge is more, um, it's, um, I don't know if you guys know that much about it. I can put a link up for what, um, for more information on it. But one of the components is, is that you do have a leadership group that is made up of students. And it kind of curves more towards the um, bullying and the interaction between student, student to student, not the student to um, teacher relationship. But the leadership panel is one that decides what the punishment levels should be for students who are bullying each other when it's actually bullying. They also talk about the differences, what is the difference between harassment, um, bullying, and then just teasing, and then the different levels of discipline and consequences that come with those three levels. And those are decided on by the leadership group from Rachel's Challenge. So that's a really great component of that program that they have. That's awesome, Colleen. I, I've not heard of Rachel's Challenge, so I will definitely love for you to uh, add that link or tweet it out with the Edu Gladiators hashtag. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, you know, another question that was asked today that I thought was a really great question, I love everyone's responses to it, was uh, question number three. You know, yesterday we uh, had our, our next president was sworn in, and it was such a divisive election and I think brought out uh, probably some of the, the worst aspects of our country and maybe some of our history to the forefront. Uh, but our next president was elected and, and was sworn in and race relations right now are definitely at a tipping point. How can we use this empathy-based focus and restorative justice uh, practice to help our schools heal? Well, I think, and, and I shared this in the chat, uh, one of my favorite TED Talks is the danger of a single story. Oh yeah. And we have to just call out what it is and say, we, we have issues that we need to talk about. And um, 
and it's very hard and it has to be dealt with um, gently, but it has to be dealt with. And so I, I think just number one, just having the conversation and just saying, hey, we need to look at this. This is something that we need to talk about. Um, we cannot keep talking through social media, talking at each other. We need to talk to one another. And so I think that's the, the first step, especially when we're dealing with, we're dealing with children, all different types of children. And um, to just act as if that stuff doesn't exist, it's just foolish. And one of, one of the things that, that I shared on, on the chat today as well was, was a graphic. And I always talk to the kids, my kids about how icebergs, about only about 85% of an iceberg is actually is below water. You're really only seeing about 15%. So what you're seeing is, is the visible culture, right? You're seeing how people dress, you're seeing their traditions, you're seeing what's important. I mean, you're seeing their customs, you're seeing who they are on the surface, but you're not seeing the things below the surface. You're not seeing their beliefs, their perceptions, their values, their attitudes towards things, their worldviews. You're not seeing that. You're not seeing their fears and their hopes and their dreams. So I think our goal as educators needs to be getting our students to drop that waterline so that we can get, so they can get to know each other more. And we have to start, we have to do that for our kids, which means we have to be personal. We have to be honest. We have to share things about ourselves that maybe we struggle with because when our students see us doing that, it allows them to say, okay, you know, it's all right for us to do that. If, if Mr. Thomas is doing it in the classroom, you know, maybe I'll be honest next time. And I know it's working because yesterday I, I, had a, I had a student come up and tell me something that I, in nine years as an educator, no student has ever come and told me. And I'm not going to share that, but I know that student dropped that waterline with me in a way that I can never even imagine. And it's because of the culture that we've created that's really pushing our, our kids to share what, what, what's below their waterline. And, you know, one of the one of the major practices of restorative justice discipline is um, are having circles and building community and having community circles. And really, um, there's a process and it's pretty um, it's a well laid out process and it takes time and planning. So this off the cuff, let's just have some off the cuff conversations that are not you're not intentional about what you're trying to do. Um, that we can't have that. I mean, we need to, just as we plan for instruction, we need to plan for building community, for teaching empathy. Um, it's just not something that's just, um, off the cuff. And so just having those, those classroom circles and, um, building community and allowing students to talk and share, that's the beginning of how you teach empathy and how you will help children have empathetic relationships with the people that they come in contact with every day. Um, and there are lots of YouTube videos um, around this practice that really shows some powerful stuff happening. Um, and, and what eventually happens, the adults are taken out of it because the kids begin to own it. Absolutely. You know, when you said about the circles, especially it brought a, um, a memory to mind, uh, everyone that um, I taught in Atlanta and, um, and I, that was like my, early on in teaching, early, early on in teaching. And I was, uh, I was a little nervous about that because I was teaching in the inner city. I, I wasn't raised in the inner city. Um, so I was, I was concerned, like, could I relate to even the black kids that I was teaching, much less the other, because I'm in Atlanta, much less to the other diverse groups there. And so I'll never forget, my mom uh, shared this with me. 
she, because uh, my undergrad is in psychology, she, she said, you know how kids work, you know how they think, she said, and you know you love to read. So start at your point of strength, which is reading, and use that to build community in your classroom. So as when I started my first day, I didn't even care what the standards were in Georgia, because until I built that community, none of that even mattered, mm -hmm. you know. And I had groups from very, you know, from all all cultures, even several um, several conflicting gang members, you know, in that in that classroom. So what I did, I got Outsiders, and I'm sure you guys have read Outsiders by mm -hmm. S.E. Hinton. The kids came in class uh, the second day after we did our role. So the second day when they came in class, all the desks were pushed back. And I told everyone, and these are eighth graders, and some of these boys are like really big. We're gonna have circle time, like you did in kindergarten. And they all had a copy of the book. I had some cards, some conversation cards that I, that I made from uh, index cards. And we sat in the circle and I told them, we're gonna read this incredible book, but before we do, we're gonna talk about some themes that are in this book. And I want us all to kind of norm on what these themes mean to you, because it is about games. It is about, uh, it is about discrimination. And we had the best talk. So every day while we read that book, before we started in the book, we picked a different theme to talk about. And it just literally changed the culture of that class. It literally changed the culture of that class. And, um, and I use that literacy to do that. With PB, with, uh, I'm sorry, with restorative justice, I did the same, uh, Touching Spirit Bear by Ben Michelson. I don't know if you've heard of that book before. It is all about restorative justice. And this, uh, this young man, this young, uh, young boy who is in high school and you know, does some terrible things and the school that he's in actually practices restorative justice and you get to be a part of his journey. Using literature for me has been an incredibly powerful way to build community, to have that circle time and to connect with my kids. That's really powerful and that's safe because it takes you away from, oh, this is her thing. This is just something that she wants me to do. People, you can see story. Again, we're going back to the power of story. You can see story as a, as, use it as a way to get the conversation going because it's not that I'm trying to relate to you. It's like, hey, I think I can relate to this character in this way. And it takes, it, it's, it's, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing that. We're adding that to, um, to a list. Book. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're coming about to the end of our time. And I just want to ask one last question, which was our question for and just get you guys' thoughts on this. You know, the last question said that uh, or asked that as edgy gladiators, how can we use restorative justice, the school to prison pipeline? So I would love to get you guys' thoughts on, on what your answer was to that. So, I mean, I, I, I think what it, what it comes down to more than anything, if we are going to, to break that school to prison pipeline, we first have to acknowledge the fact that it exists. We have to acknowledge the fact that it is a very re real reality for a lot of our students, regardless of where they come from. I, I've seen it in suburban areas. I've seen it in urban areas. It is real. It exists. And that, and that, is, a, that is something that we have to acknowledge. I think we also have to really work with our students to find ways to build those relationships and build that trust. 
if we are not building that trust with, with our students, they're never going to listen to us. And we're not going to be able to have that impact on them. And Marlena, you said it earlier, when you first start the school year off, curriculum can wait. I tell my teachers all the time, curriculum can wait. You have to build the relationships. You have to build the trust because without that, you're never going to be successful. All these restorative justice practices, they are great. But if you do not have the relationships, if you do not have the trust of your students, none of this will ever matter. So I think for me, that's what I try doing more than anything else. And I do that by just being real, open and honest with the kids and, and not sugarcoating anything. And I'm just going to say amen, Sean. And <laughs> also, it's that intentionality. So yeah, recognize that it exists, but then what is our plan and what are we going to do about it? And so you have to plan, plan everything, plan for when we have a kid who's about to fall off the tracks. What are we doing with that kid? What is our reintegration process? Um, it's very much, and I will be talking about this next week when we talk about PBIS and you talk about that whole tiered approach, restorative discipline practices, it's a part of expectations. You know, you have your school-wide expectations, your classroom expectations, and this is what we do. This is how we respond to this. This is what we explicitly teach students how to do. And for the most part, most of them will do that. But then what do you do when you have those kids? They're not responding to that. Well, you move into another another layer of support. So that may be a restorative chat or a restorative conference. If that's not I, um, working, then you have that third tier where you really, you got to catch every kid wherever they are. And so I, I think it's just recognizing it, just as Sean said, but then also planning for what do you do when this happens? And what planning for what you do when it happens. I actually had, when I was in high school, um, I was a sophomore and I was in a senior level class and one of my classmates was arrested um, over one weekend and we all knew about it. It was, I mean, I lived in North County, St. Louis, like the Ferguson area and we all knew about it because we we're a very tight community and one of my teachers and to this day I'll flat out always say that she was my favorite teacher. She was our modern novel teacher. She came in that day and she was very honest with us. And she told us what happened. But the main part that she wanted to get through is that when he came back to class, we needed to treat him this way. Like, we still need to welcome him. We still need to be for there for them. So not only is it about the teachers coming together, about that re-entry, but you also need to prepare your students for that re-entry too. Because if he came back and we treated him like an outsider, treated him like he was different, he was just going to continue to head on the path that he was in. It was up to us as a community to bring him back to us. And it was extremely powerful. And he did end up coming back about a week and a half later. And I, it never, he did not follow that path. He was able to get off of it. So it was really powerful. It was really moving. And it was also one of the moments that made me decide that I wanted to be a teacher. So <laughs> it was a really great experience. And I think that is also in my classroom as well. I have not had that experience of a kid, of a student being arrested, but I've had the experience of students being removed from my room. And you as a teacher has to say, when the student comes back, we got to work together to welcome them and put tomorrow is tomorrow and the future is now. So I love that, Colleen. I love that. And I think, you know, for me personally, and being a principal, I've definitely had to send my fair share of students to, um, 
you know, too juvenile for some pretty, pretty serious offenses. And I wish I hadn't. I wish there was like a halfway point between whatever they've done in school that broke, that were zero tolerance rules to going to juvenile. Uh, so that was literally the only time if it was something else. I mean, we like literally worked so hard with so many kids to find different ways to help them and really dig deeper into the problem of whatever was causing that behavior. Uh, and of course, many times it wasn't anything in school, it was outside of school, things that you know we generally have no control over, but bringing in resources, bringing in those social workers, bringing in those counselors uh, to help those kids, I think that is a very uh, effective way as well to, um, to support those kids that are struggling. And Colleen, I really love what you said about preparing the, the class, the rest of the class when kids are away for whatever reason and as they, as they come back. I just think our first go-to shouldn't be this kid, you know, or that kid needs to go to ISS if you're in secondary level, middle or high school. That shouldn't be our first response ever. You know, going to the principal's office shouldn't be the first response ever. You should have tried at least three things before you even get to that point, you know, and talk about it as a team, especially if you're in middle school with the team uh, set up. So I think restorative justice is a powerful way to break that school to prison pipeline because we are building empathy in our schools. We're building empathy with the adults that work with our kids. Um, we're creating champion educators uh, that truly want to learn and understand and that work tirelessly to help our students. And I think that's the way we're going to uh, break that. And then we can layer in that curriculum. Like I said, with the literacy piece are using those examples from social studies or are building on kids' passions in math and science to help them see this is your way to be successful and this is your way, um, this is your way out if, if that's the situation that you're in. So any last thoughts on the topic? No, I, I would just tell everybody out there who's listening to remember that it's not about fixing kids. You're, 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 you're not there to to fix the kid. You're there to understand what the kid is experiencing, what, the, what your kids are going through, and you're there to help your kid work through that. But you're not going to fix the kids. And so often when we have people who come into a lot of these environments, their first goal was, I need to fix this kid. How am I going to fix this kid? This poor kid. And it goes back to the sympathy thing. And, and teaching in, a, in an inner city school right now, that, 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 that's a mindset that comes in with, with, with a lot of new educators and even a, even a lot of veteran educators as well. But it's not about fixing the kids. So get that mindset out of your head and realize that it's about helping them. I would agree Absolutely. with you, Sean. It's, it's about support. And I guess the, the last thing for me, for our principals and assistant principals, our leaders out there listening, this is on us. Um, this is on us. We cannot just say, what is wrong with these people? Why do they keep sending them to the office? They don't know how to talk to kids. Have we done the due diligence and the research and provided the support and necessary training so that as a school, as a school culture, have we said, this is, this is how we speak to our children. This is what we do um, when we have kids going through these types of things. Have we planned for that? And so my, my call to action is, is to the principals out there, sit down with your teams and, and talk about what are we doing to teach empathy? What are we doing to practice empathy? We can't just assume that our staff members um, know how to teach students how to be empathetic. Uh, we have to plan for that and, and teach that and support that. I love that. I love that. And I love each and every one of you guys for joining in for the 
after the chat. Those of you that are watching, those of you that are watching the replay, even thank you so much for being part of Edge Gladiators from our chats to our after the chats to the podcast. So a lot of great things coming up uh, with Edge Gladiators, and we are just so glad that you're a part of it. Colleen, Sine, uh, Sean, thank you so much for joining after the chat today. I really, really, really uh, learned so much, honestly, from each and every one of you from your sharing. And for those of you that are listening and watching, I hope you did too. Thanks, everyone, and have a great Saturday. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.